Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, aren't you glad to be at church this morning? Yeah. What a treat. We've, uh, we have, like AJ was saying, it seems like we've always got things that are, uh, that are going on um, in and outside of the church. I don't know how many of you guys, uh, I saw that uh, the We See You event happened this last week. Yeah, anybody see that? Yes, all right, yeah, we can cheer for that. Pretty amazing that they were uh, uh, out there. I think, I think I saw Josh and um, or Matt around here. Is Matt in the house right now? Somewhere, no idea. Yeah, he might not be. Uh, we'll say hi to him a little bit later. Patrick and Becky, I think I saw them in here. All right, there they are. Uh, last week, Patrick sent me a video uh, clip, just a short little clip. You saw it at the end of people hearing the gospel for the first time in their language. And many of you were asking, how do we get in, in uh, contact with them? They're in the auditorium. You can find them. They'll be very near Craig Holt, uh, who most of you can identify at 50 paces. So... Um, the reason I bring those things up, folks, uh, besides what happens on a Sunday morning, people out in our world, in our community, need the gospel, both those near and far, and those two groups represent near and far, amen? So we get stirred up here as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to go out and share the gospel with a broken world, and they're all in need, and we're just thankful that we have folks in here committed to that. Uh, if you want to find out how you can help in those endeavors, find those individuals and join them uh, in what they're doing. I have a privilege uh, this morning of introducing uh, to you uh, Robert Morgan. Um, I-, I labored a little bit over how I should introduce our speaker. Um, typically, you would walk through all the list of accomplishments, and uh, his are so varied and so vast it would take quite a bit of time. The things near to me are uh, pastoring in one church for a long period of time, um, walking through hardship with uh, his spouse, uh, being able to see all of these different things. He, he journaled some of those things uh, for us in books like the Red Sea Rules and the Jordan River Rules, wrote down for us uh, not only what he was going through and shared those things, but shared biblically how he uh, was able to stay not only connected to the Lord, but delighted by him in the midst of uh, life. And so I, I think um, our senior saints group has gone through the Red Sea rules, Jordan River rules, always near, and all things work together for good starting this afternoon. Uh, they will get a copy of that. Uh, if you want to hear uh, Robert preaching and teaching, he can currently be found at the Robert J. Morgan podcast. Uh, he does uh, teaching there. Uh, every single day, you have, uh, yeah, so every, every week, um, every week he puts on a new podcast. This is the first thing that I had heard uh, from Robert. It was from one of our senior saints, uh, and she was telling us that she had just found out that she was uh, going home to be with the Lord. And it was Red Sea Rule number five, and she looked at our group. We were uh, stuck at home during the pandemic. Um, and this is what she said. I, I read this, and she said, I just read it in the Red Sea Rules. You know that book that everybody has. Well, nobody in the group had it. I hadn't read it myself, and it so impacted me. She said, stay calm and confident and give God time to work. She was worried about all the other people in her life, 
and all the extended concerns that she wouldn't be able to take care of, all of the things that were yet uh, her needs that she still had. She didn't know how in this season she would have them met. And this is what it said. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, it was Nancy Flynn, for those of you that know her. She says, I haven't held my peace for a day in my life. (laughs) She said, I've stayed quiet. The Lord has met me here. And it was Robert Morgan who had pastored her while she was away from the church. So I introduce to you a friend of the family and a hero to our church, Robert J. Morgan. Thank you. Robert, can I pray for you? Yes. And have a start. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you so much for the time that we've spent already together. And I pray that uh, you give Robert... Uh, just clarity as he preaches, that he'd bring to us a word of encouragement, a reminder of your truth, that it would settle into our hearts, change the way that we act and think. I pray, Father, that uh, he'd also be blessed by this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've come to love your pastor, and I wish that I lived here so I could sit under his ministry and under his teaching. I've listened to him. And by the way, today is the 17th anniversary of his 35th birthday. (laughs) But what a ministry you have here. I've just been thrilled to see it and thrilled to be a part of it. And um, I feel so at home. And this is such a beautiful area. Uh, It's been a while since I've been to Oregon. And it's, you, you guys live in just a, a beautiful, beautiful place. I love it. And I appreciate being invited to be here. And I want to give special kudos to Darren Martin because he picked me up at the airport and took me to Multnomah Falls, which I'd asked. I saw that when I was eight years old. And I wanted to go back. And uh, he took me. We walked all the way to the top and had a wonderful afternoon together. And he videotaped. On social media every day, I put a one-minute or a 59-second message on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I try to find different backgrounds for taping those. And so if you go to my social media today, you'll see a beautiful uh, piece of uh, uh, photography and videography that Darren did as we talk about the overflow of Romans 15, 13. So I've had a wonderful weekend so far. Thank you for the invitation. I want to talk about something that I've seldom told an audience before, but it just came to my heart. I fell in love at first sight with a girl when I was a junior in college. It's the only time I've ever fallen in love at first sight. And I saw this girl, she was radiant and beautiful, and I thought, she's out of my league, but I mustered up all of my courage And I invited her on a date, and we went and had a good time. Then I invited her on another date, and she put her hand on my arm and said, I'm not in the point in my life where I want to have a relationship, and she turned me down. I mean, she, in a very nice way, dumped me. And I remember going back to my dormitory room. And it was a Friday night, and the lights were off, and I went and looked over the campus from my window and just felt an enormous sense of loss, and I actually wept. And I remember that very clearly. I was just heartbroken. 
But then I came back for my senior year. And my first day there, I met a new incoming student named Katrina. And now I look back at that, and I am so glad that the other girl said no. Because God had Katrina, my wife, who was absolutely perfect, we were perfect together, planned for me from the very beginning, and we had 43 years of wonderful marriage before the Lord took her home. And it reminded me again that disappointments are God's appointments. And if we could just always remember that God knows what he is doing, he's got a plan for our lives. And it says in Psalm 139 verse 16, I saw you before you were born and scheduled each day of your life before you begin to breathe. Every day is recorded in your book. And the great lesson I want to give you today is that God works everything out for his children. Whatever it is you may be facing today, and in an audience this size, there are many different problems and burdens. But whatever it is, God works everything out. Now, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm going to show you two or three places. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. Ephesians is like the climactic book of Paul's writings because when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he was not addressing any problem that they had. So he could just write off the top of his heart what he wanted to say. And the first three chapters talk about our wealth and our richness in Christ. And he says in verse 11, Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him... That is a distinctly Pauline phrase. It summarizes everything that he ever said. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, you can just go through and mark all of the different times he says, in him. We have also received an inheritance. Riches. We have something that comes to us when we are in Christ. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians is about how rich we are and how wealthy we are and how we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ and we have an inheritance. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one, referring to God, the plan of the one. God has a plan. He's got a plan for world history. He's got a plan for eternity. He has a plan for redemption. And he's got a plan for every one of our individual lives. So he works things out according to the plan of the one who works out everything. And I have those three words underlined in my Bible. God works out everything. We can work out almost nothing. We can try to solve problems, but they can become so entangled and so difficult. And we have to say, Lord, I cannot do the impossible. I'm going to give this to you. And he works out everything. Just underline those words. He works out everything. But how does he do it? In agreement with the purpose of his will. So, in our lives, when we are in Christ and we have received him as our Savior, 
then everything comes under his sovereign control. And we can take our burdens to the Lord. And this is why Peter said, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. This is why the Bible says that we can cast our burdens upon him and he will sustain us because he never allows the righteous to be undone. And he works out everything according to the plan of him, according to the plan and agreement with the purpose of his will and why. So that we who have already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. So this simple little two verses here says God has a plan. He works everything out in the lives of those who are in Christ so that what happens in our lives eventually works out into his perfect plan so that we might just continually praise him and rejoice in him and honor and worship him. Now, this is a verse for you. God is going to work everything out in your life according to the purposes of his will so that you might give him everlasting praise. He will work it out. I met my wife at Columbia Bible College. That wouldn't have happened unless, well, I'll tell you this brief story. In 1918, there was a man named Robert McQuilkin, and he was a very zealous follower of Christ. He wanted to be a missionary. He and his family agreed to go to Africa. This was during the end of the World War I period, and it was very dangerous, very few ships on the ocean carrying passengers, almost none. But they found a ship called the City of Lahore, and they put their things on it. They had booked passage. It would take them to Africa for missionary service. They went back to Philadelphia to um, say goodbye to everybody, and while they were there, they learned that the ship, the city of Lahore, had burned down in New York Harbor, caught fire, and just burned in the harbor. They couldn't find any other ship. They were tremendously disappointed. They tried to explain to their supporters why they were having trouble going, and so Dr. McQuilkin began an itinerant ministry which brought him to Columbia, South Carolina, where there were a group of women who had been praying for the establishing of a Bible school in the South, equivalent to Moody Bible Institute in the North. And they asked him to head it up, and he established Columbia Bible College, which became Columbia International University, which is where I met Katrina. If it hadn't been for that ship and that disappointment, and the burning down of the city of Lahore in 1918, I never would have met my wife Katrina in 1973. So the Lord knows in a long-term basis what he is doing. We can't just evaluate from day to day, even from year to year. It takes time, but when we look back, we see that God works everything out in accordance to the will of him who has a plan for our lives that we might rejoice in him. Now, a very similar passage is in the book of Philippians. So turn over to the next book, Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 12. The background for this is the Apostle Paul had dreamed and strategized and planned about his fourth missionary journey. He was going to go to Spain And some scholars believe that he actually thought by going to Spain, he would be going to the extent of the known world, and he could himself fulfill the Great Commission. 
And so he did all of the planning. He raised the funds. He wrote to the Romans, told them he was coming. But then he was arrested in Jerusalem and a mob, narrowly flogged, narrowly assassinated. He ended up in Caesarea for two years in prison. His legal case stalled. He finally appealed to Caesar. They put him on board a ship that went into a hurricane and sank. And he drifted like a drowned rat onto the shore where he was immediately bitten by a snake, a viper. Finally, he made it to Rome, but as a prisoner. And he was there for two years under arrest. I mean, everything went wrong that could go wrong. His plans never materialized. But he said here in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He said all of these negative things and these problems that I've encountered, including being arrested and being nearly assassinated and being shipwrecked and being bit by the snake and the time I spent in Malta and then finally especially being here arrested in Rome. All of that was God's plan for getting the gospel out. And he gives them two reasons. He said, first of all, I am chained day and night to guards. And these just aren't any guards. They are the Praetorian guards that control the city of Rome. They went all over the empire as the leading soldiers. And Paul was not chained to them. They were chained to him. And they listened. They were a captive audience as he preached and prayed and taught and write and wrote. And he shared the gospel with them. And he said, many of these soldiers have received Christ as Savior. They're going out into the empire to places I could never go spreading the gospel. And then he said, my example of courage has also emboldened others to stand up and preach as well. So he said, everything went wrong. None of my plans worked out. But God used it all for the advancement of the gospel. And whenever something happens to you, it's a very good idea to turn around and say, how does the Lord want to use this to advance the gospel? I was preaching last year in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I came out of the hotel to go to the church, and I have a truck, a pickup truck, and when I turned it on, it made a terrifically bad sound. I I don't know anything about vehicles, but I knew something was wrong, and somebody had stolen my catalytic converter. Maybe you've had that same problem. Well, it caused me no end of difficulties. I'll not tell you the whole story. But finally, a month later, we had trouble getting it fixed, but my truck was in the Toyota dealership, and I called an Uber to take me to pick it up. And as I was driving, it was about a half hour to the dealership, I noticed in the back seat there was a Bible. And I said to the young man, I said, you have a Bible in the back seat. Do you read it? He said, no, but it belonged to my dear aunt who's dead, and I like to keep it here because it makes me feel close to her. And I said, well, it's a very nice thing to have a Bible in your car, but it's even better if you read it. Let me tell you what it says. (laughs) And I shared the gospel with him, and by the time we got to the Toyota dealership, he said, I want to bow my head and pray and receive Christ as Savior. And then... 
Then I knew why the Lord had allowed somebody to steal my catalytic converter, (laughs) whatever it is. So when something negative happens, the Lord has a way of turning that around to make it an evangelistic opportunity. And we have to look for those things. So he works out everything according to his will. He works out everything for the furtherance of the gospel. And then the grandfather verse of all of this is Romans 8.28. So turn with me there to this tremendous passage that comes right at the climax of Paul's tremendous theological arguments in the book of Romans. So I want to begin with verse 26. He says, in the same way. Now, you have to understand the context, of course, to know what that means. But Paul has been setting forth God's plan of justification. And he says, we receive Christ by faith and because of grace. And when that happens, then we begin to become a different person. But we aren't yet perfect. And he says in chapter 6, we died to sin. But he said in chapter 7, we still struggle with sin. But he says in chapter 8, the role of the Holy Spirit is to come and to give us increasing victory in our lives. And he says the Holy Spirit does this and this and this and this and this. Chapter 8 is a wonderful chapter about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And then he says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. But what weakness? He says, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Now, that's very interesting, isn't it? We don't know what to pray for the way we should. So, we say, Lord, I want to go to UCLA, but the doors close because it's not God's will. We, so, we have to say, Lord, I want to go to UCLA, or I want to go to Harvard, or I want to go to Alabama, whatever university you have your mind on. But we have to say, if it's your will, because God knows that may not be the place for us. There's somebody, or you want to buy this particular car, or you want this job or this promotion. So we say, Lord, give me this promotion or help me to win this ball game. But we have to say, if it be your will, because when it comes to all of these contingencies in the future, we don't know how to pray. So we have to pray the best we can, give God our desires, and then say, if it be your will, and be satisfied with how God leads us. But the Holy Spirit never needs to say, if it be your will, because he already knows God's will for us being himself God. So it says, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Now, later in the chapter, he's going to say that Christ also intercedes for us. I don't think we quite realize how powerful it is as we go through life that constantly we have the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit praying for us in heaven all the time for God's will to be perfectly done in our lives. It's like Aaron and her. And so the Holy Spirit prays for us according to God's will. And it says in verse 27, and he who searches our hearts, 
being God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we know because of the prayers of the Holy Spirit according to the will of God based upon the redemption that the book of Romans talks about in Jesus Christ, because of that, we know that all things work together for good. Now, it is no easy thing for things to work together for good because not everything is good. Many things are very bad. Things happen to us that are tragic, that are horrendous, that are unspeakable. We never know what's going to happen to us. So for those things eventually to work out for our good is no easy thing. It takes the will of God the Father, the redemption of God the Son, and the prayers of God the Holy Spirit to pull it off. But as those three work on our behalf, then we know that all things work together for good in our lives. And that's the way this comes together. It is an assurance we have that nothing is outside of God's ability providentially to turn it in a way that is eventually for our good and often in ways we may not recognize until later, we may not recognize until heaven, but it gives us the ability to walk by faith. Now, because of that, what do we need to do? Well, we need to make sure that we are open to God's ways. We need to make sure that every part of us is available to the Lord. One of my prayers is, Lord, may all there is of me be available to all there is of you so that all there is of you can fill and guide and empower all there is of me. You know, the Lord doesn't want 75% of you or 90% of your heart, or 99% of your heart, we have to come to him in full surrender, full commitment. He gave himself fully to us on the cross, and we have to come to him in full surrender and say, dear Lord, whatever you want with my life, you are first. Everything else is going to revolve around you. The Lord doesn't want to be anywhere except in the very center of your life, sitting on the throne of your heart. And that's what's necessary. All of these things work out for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which means that he is number one in our life. And then we've got to be occupied with his work because he sends us out to do things and all of the things that happen to us have a way eventually of turning into testimonies. I've selected my verse for next year. I've already begun researching it and preparing sermons on it. Uh, Next year is, what, 2024. Am I right about that? 2024. When you get at my age, you're not always so sure. So my verse for next year is Acts 2024. It says, my life is worthless to me unless I use it for finishing the work God has called me to do, the work of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Isn't that a wonderful verse? The Apostle Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders, and in Acts 20, 24, he says, my life is worthless to me unless I use it to finish the work 
that you have given me to do. The Lord has assigned all of us a particular personal ministry, a work to do. And he tells us to finish it. Jesus said, I have finished the work you have given me to do. So we've got to make sure that we are occupied with his work. And then we've got to be optimistic in his will. Because if we have Ephesians 1.11, and if we have Philippians 1.12, and if we have Romans 8.28, why should we be depressed? Why should we go around in fear and afraid of things and anxious and worried the way that I very often am? We should be people of tremendous joy and optimism, and there should be such a hope about us that other people ask a reason for the hope that is within us. This is one thing nobody else in the world has but us. The optimism that comes from the sovereignty of God produced within us by the Holy Spirit on the basis of the redemption of Jesus Christ. So if you've been going around with a bad attitude or a low self-esteem or a discouraged spirit, well, the way that Paul shook off that serpent that bit him You need to shake that off and just say, Lord, produce within me hope. The verse that I filmed that we have on my Facebook today in uh, Multnomah Falls is, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the falls it's a twofold fall. So the water comes down into that gorgeous pool and then it spills over. And that's a picture of the Christian life. Romans 15, 13 says we're to be filled with all of God's joy and hope so that we can overflow with hope and gladness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone said that ill that God blesses is our good and unblessed good is ill And all is right that seems most strong, if it be his sweet will. Well, it all begins when we make that decision to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There may be someone here and you've never been absolutely sure that you've made that decision. If we said, are you going to heaven? You would say, well, I hope so. But you have never actually nailed down the commitment that you need to have to Jesus Christ and Lord, as Lord and Savior, letting him be the Lord of your life. And that's where it all begins. That's the beginning to this wonderful life in which the Lord works all things according to his will, all things for the furtherance of the gospel, and all things for our good. And when you receive Christ as Savior, you enter into a life in which now God is in control. And all things, I mean, that word all means all. And that's all all means, is all. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You can take that verse and it will never fail. And you can never wear it out. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Dear Lord, our God and our Heavenly Father, if there is someone here who needs to come to Jesus Christ before the sun sets today, Lord, I pray they will. 
If they're watching online, I pray they will. And Father, all of us need the encouragement of your redeeming providence over our lives. So we pray that these verses in Ephesians, Philippians, and Romans might get a hold of us, transform our attitudes, and change our lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.